being programmed to chill a show about business crime parapolitics and esoterica with your host jimmy fallon gong now let's see here if we're talking ex-military lord knows you could do a strong reading of every single song absolutely but but (laughs) uh i mean so there's beware guillotine spread eagle across the block lord of the game Tachyon. Hell yeah. But throat, clink. But culture shock stood out to me. Yes. Right? Okay. And I know we were talking about this, but culture shock samples a text to speech translator. Is it it's at the end of the song, right? Or is it at the beginning? I'm trying to remember. It's at the very end of culture shock, and then that fades into the beginning of 5D. That's right. Which, uh, okay, yeah. So, I will insert the audio clip here. You need to vibrate higher so you can capture the opening of the portal that connects this Earth of 3D to one Earth of 4D or 5D. Going to the. But I'll read it anyway, right? You need to vibrate higher so you can capture the opening of the portal that connects this Earth of 3D to one Earth of 4D or 5D, going to the 5. All right, now, this clip has been identified, right? Indeed. I found it through the Death Grips wiki, but someone probably found it and put it on there. Now, we are talking about this amazing website and I'm sure I'll put a thread up and I'll include some images, right? But we're talking the, uh, let me get the exact title here. I'm pulling up the website. So it is the channeling. Well, it's light workers channeling of the group. We are light in action. Ashtar, Sharon and intergalactic fleet. Indeed. I love every word you just said. And also there's some Portuguese which translates to We Are Light in Action. Now, the article was written in 2010 uh, by the author listed as Ascended Masters. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, the context of the quote comes, and I'll just read it off here. Readings in the four quadrants of the divine universe, which takes place in and out of each one of you, I come to explain about the energetic changes. Dear brothers, I come here tonight to enlighten you about the dizziness and the changes of energy that light workers are experiencing do not be fret do not be afraid this is an energy shift that is occurring inside and outside of you mother gaia has been going through such changes since 1950 and is now more evident never fear when you feel your energetic bodies different this is the change that is qualifying in your personal coefficient of light climbing a step in your vibration. Do not fear when you feel your energy body is different. You need to vibrate higher so you can capture the opening of the portal that connects this earth of 3D to one earth of 4D or 5D. Going to the 5D will depend only on the vibrational quality of each brother. Therefore, we ask you to do the decrees that you concentrate in the light. The change will not be easy, but the father-mother is supporting each one of you. As for your visions, do not worry about when you receive, always send the violet flame. You have the power to easy to allay the natural disasters. 
Many who are incarnated on earth today choose to pass sharp and painful, and others like you not. So focus, do the decrees, and trust. Do not doubt, because doubt hinders and condenses the energy of low vibration. Do not open holes for the negative influences, but do not forget to see the truth. I am Adonai Ashtar Sharon, and I leave you in peace and love for the father-mother. Much to think about. Much to think about. Now, before we dig really into that, I just yeah. want to say, I can't prove this to anyone listening to this, but I swear, like 10 years ago, I have seen an associated video with that original speech that Death Grip samples in that track, both the audio of the vocalization and also the little, uh, na 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 I have seen a video by that website. It's like really bad 90s CG. And I swear it's from those same people. And it was so long ago, I can't remember the details. But I know there's an associated video with the uh, speech that you just gave. Listen, Dakota, I believe you. I appreciate that. And if any of the listeners ever can find it, please send it to us because I swear it exists. And it's got a lot of like pyramid symbology and a lot of color stuff and like angel imagery, like the website you were just referring to that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely like a image of like a UFO floating over like a indoor sort of like a, what do they call those little teddy bear Star Wars creatures? You know, uh, whatever. It looks like that village. Like an Ewok? Ewoks, thank you. Okay. And then there's also like an angel with like a gif like of like rays of radiating light or whatever the fuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like I've seen a video uploaded by those people, like light workers mm-hmm. and whatnot. It got taken down after ex military, because I feel like they didn't want the attention. But I promise you I've seen it. Yes. I and that's always it. been really interesting to me that I've never been able to find it since. And when I watched it way back in the day, I was just like, you know. Oh, epic death grips, you know, referencing a cult or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, because even the page that we were looking at more recently is like archived, right? Mm-hmm. Like, interesting. So, as far as I can tell, first of all, the website that this comes, that this appears on specifically, appears to be like an Australian New Age website for like light workers yeah and i can't say for certain whether the current like you know operators of the website are the same people mm-hmm. i don't know if you were able to dig in and figure that out or not but i couldn't find any like cross references as to like if they just gave up on the domain or not but like i really want to know where and why they found that sample to use in those two tracks yes well it's interesting, right? Because like this stuff is not native to Australia, right? This stuff yeah, really. largely comes from California, at least after a certain point. As all the best cults do. Right, exactly. Now, as I was reading this, I mean, I have some thoughts that I wrote down, but I didn't notice that there's the passage, you have the power to allay natural disasters. And like, I got to think to myself, like, John Lindley Fraser was doing his murders supposedly to prevent, a, like, a natural disaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I can start going through some of this stuff. So the passage is just chock full of interesting shit. But what I zeroed in on immediately was the violet flame. Okay. Now, that's a concept which appears in various locations. Uh, I think Madame Blavatsky mentions it in passing in her book, The Secret Doctrine. But where it really gets fleshed out is a certain book entitled St. Germain, Mystery of the Violet Flame by a certain woman named Elizabeth Clare Prophet of a certain group called the Church Universal and Triumphant. Okay? Okay. We'll, we'll talk about her and her group in a second, but she defines the violet flame in the book just as Jesus stood as the open door to the attainment of the Christ consciousness in the 2,000-year Piscean cycle, so the Aquarian master, St. Germain, comes today to initiate us on the path of soul liberation through the sacred fire of the Holy Spirit that we call the Violet Flame. And so the entire book is like laying out basically a switch from the Piscean to the Aquarian era, I guess. Sure. A lot of New Age horseshit, as you might guess. Yeah. I think technically in her framework, the Violet Flame was literally a temple in Atlantis. And then I think there was like literally a Violet Flame, like undying type of thing within that temple or something. But also it's a stand-in for like the Holy Spirit that they consider to be a function, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Now... A while back, I did a thread which talked about, in passing, the Church Universal and Triumphant. Now, as these things always go, the Church Universal and Triumphant was a right-wing cult, because almost every cult is right-wing. Yeah. And Elizabeth Clare Prophet specifically preached against socialism. That wasn't the, her main thing, but it was like a factor, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I quoted from Martin Cannon's book, The Controllers, who talks about her, and he wrote, the most visible offspring of the I Am movement is Elizabeth Clare Prophet's Church Universal and Triumphant, a group best known for its massive arms caches and underground bunkers. Church Universal and Triumphant was recently exposed in Covert Action magazine as a conduit of CIA funds, and according to researcher John Judge, has ties to organizations uh, allied to the World Anti-Communist League. <laughs> really? That's right. Wow. That's an uh, incredible connection there. And then speaking broadly, I mean, just every theosophical new, like all new age groups are sort of swimming in the waters of this sort of quote that Death Grips get the, gets this passage from. And it's all, all new age stuff is basically theosophy filtered through 1960s vibes absolutely and so basically what i'm saying is this is a very interesting thing for death grips to be sampling yeah no the more you look into it there's a lot more to uh, see it, it's kind of a uh, a real fractal mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's like whoa man that's trippy on the surface of it yeah like when you first encountered it and then I didn't pick up on any of this until recently, basically. Yeah. I mean, I knew they were fucking weird, but like, I didn't <laughs> know that it was like this, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Like, I don't know. Like, what do you think, Dakota? Do you like, 
I kind of think that they believe this stuff. Like, I don't think that this is just for vibes alone. I mean, it's so weird because they're so like, I don't know. I, I don't want to say contradictory, but like all encompassing when it comes to that sort of thing, that mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to pin down what they truly believe. Yes. Because like some of it is a little contradictory. Like, you know, that, you know, good vibes, California, new agey bullshit is kind of contradictory to your like processed church and your like Atwa bullshit. Yes. And so it does make them a little hard to pin down, but at the same time, like it's obvious they're like tuned in enough that it's not just like vibes. You know what I mean? Yeah. If it were just vibes, it wouldn't be so hyper specific, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's so weird. I, it's really, with Death Grips, it's really hard to pin down exactly, like, where the band stands on any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, now would probably be a good time to dig into it um, with, like, Ride's tattoos, like, the stuff he has. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, that's not just, that's, that's deeper than just, you know, vibes for a song. Yes. Because he's got it fucking tattooed on his body. Like, it's clearly not just doing a bit. Yeah. Do you think you could speak maybe to, like, having something tattooed on you doesn't necessarily mean, like, do you think you could, like, explain, like, how it both is exactly as, like, meaningful as getting something tattooed on you, but, like, not... Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, because I don't have any tattoos, or maybe I shouldn't say that to the listeners. <laughs> I mean, as a terminal tattoo haver, like, I mean, yeah, like, you know, recording a song is kind of similar to having a tattoo. Like, you know, I have plenty of tattoos that I regret and I have plenty of tattoos that I don't agree with anymore. And Mm. like, I'm sure many musicians and artists feel the same way about the music they release. But like, you know, when you release a song on the internet in this day and age, and especially a band as online as Death Grips, like that you're you're creating a time capsule you know what i mean like you're locking yeah. that moment in like beyond that moment they that might not be you anymore forever but you're locking that moment in forever that everyone can revisit for the rest of time be mm. it you know everyone online that listens to a track from 10 years ago or everyone at the grocery store that sees a tattoo on your arm like even if that's not still you that part of you has been locked in and is unchangeable and a, a band that's as like you know surgically precise as death grips with all of their music and the way they interact with the world and the media and their fans and whatnot like i don't know there's no coincidences you know what i mean yeah they don't do anything like that they haven't thought out very clearly yeah. is my impression yeah absolutely now let's for sure talk about MC Ride's tattoos. And I will say, Dakota, I felt like such a genius figuring out some of these. And then <laughs> here, here's every single tattoo analyzed. I'm sorry. And no, 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 it's fine. Like I knew <laughs> that people would have figured out most of this stuff. And there's a few that I d- actually didn't solve, and so I'm happy to have this. But like, gosh dang it, I thought I was such a genius. <laughs> you know what? It it's still discovering it independently of Reddit and 4chan is its its own accomplishment. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> no, I sent you um, 
a pretty decent compilation of rides tattoos if you want to dig into that yes let's go systematically so i think it makes sense to start with the big one right on his sternum yes now that is let's see here it is at first i thought it was just a pentagram but no it is really? not just a pentagram right no i'm i'm not trying to flex on you here i'm just uh I couldn't make it out fully. That's why I didn't notice okay. that it was specifically. Folks, we're talking H.P. Lovecraft again. Yes, sir. Specifically, though, the sigil of the gateway from the Simon Necronomicon. So not technic, you know, like Lovecraft by way of the Necronomicon is what we're talking about. Indeed. Now, it's interesting, right? Because this is supposed to be Basically, the gate of Yog Sohoth, which, you know, listen, I've talked about the whole Necronomicon stuff. Listeners can go back and listen to a pretty cool episode with me and CJ, our buddy. But rest in peace. <laughs> rest in peace. When you die on Twitter, you die in real life. <laughs> <laughs> listen sometimes you just need to like get in a good relationship and you'll just never be on twitter again. you know what respect i feel like that's the dream but <laughs> <laughs> do go on with the gate of yogsathoth and whatnot like it's just the necronomicon shit is all fake but the thing about like and i'm i'm pretty sure mc Wright knows this like chaos magic is basically like taking things that may or may not be quote unquote real and imbuing them with like importance and significance. So he puts this Necronomicon sigil on his chest. Yes. His, his singular most mm -hmm. like his signature tattoo, like the biggest one and the one that's purely in the center of his chest, like the one you can't avoid. The one you will always remember, Absolutely. the one that appears on the Abraxas tour poster Indeed. of the Chicken Man. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, fuck Jim Morrison, I eat more chicken than any man I know. <laughs> Is he talking about Abraxas? I think he's talking about being a fat fuck personally, but... <laughs> That's the stronger reading. Okay. <laughs> so... um, Can we really quickly... Uh, yes. divulge with the uh, Necronomicon thing because we were talking about this mm -hmm. earlier in the program to chill discord about like Lovecraftian lore mm -hmm. because like w earlier when you said like the Nap Necronomicon like you said like it's all fake obviously yep. it was made by some incel in the 1920s but like in the discord we talked about like the order of the nine angles mm -hmm. that's HP Lovecraft bullshit we talked about like Aquino and his deep interest into Lovecraftian lore. And obviously that's all bullshit made by a guy a hundred years ago. But like the for me, and obviously you know more about chaos magic than I do, like at what point does it stop being bullshit? You know what I mean? Yeah, because the fucking Nazi shit, all of that was made up until exactly. it was a bunch of guys that actually just started shooting people. Yeah, everything is fake until it's not. Like Yeah. And obviously, you know, I'm not saying Yogg-Sothoth is real, but I am saying if enough people believe Yogg-Sothoth is real, does it really matter? Like, 
I know that's an incredibly base level fucking like, you know, new agey esoteric bullshit take, but especially in the context of death grips. And then you drag that back to like your own NAs and your fucking temple of sets and whatever. Like, I think that's relevant to the conversation, like making something that within recent history is obviously fake written by a guy who's had his picture taken, but like it's effectively real if enough people act like it is. Yeah, and it's like, what does it mean to him? Well, I imagine it means every other thing we're about to talk about, you know, like in context, it all is pointing in one direction. Absolutely. Yeah, it's all just fucking left-hand path shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From multiple traditions. So we have clear indications that he's aware of multiple types of left-hand path magic to the point where he gets them all fucking tattooed on him. Oh, yeah. So we know what he's about. Okay. Let's continue to make yeah, the I case. Mean, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, go on. I'll, we'll go to the uh, personal anecdotes section of the episode later on. Yeah. So we've got multiple skulls on his body. For the listeners, MC Wright performs without a shirt. I don't think I've ever seen him perform with a shirt on. Yeah, famously shirtless, man. Zero percent right. body fat, by the way. God the damn. most shirtless. The yeah, quite ripped. Very intimidating. Oh, <laughs> I mean, he's God, like yeah. not a huge dude, like not intimidating like that way, but like the energy and so forth. Have you seen Death Grips live, by the way? I wish I had. I have not. Neither have I, but I will oh, soon. Oh man, bless up. I'm jealous. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. Okay. So yeah, multiple skulls all over. There's. On one breast, he's got a skull. On the other breast, he's got a a fly, right? Yeah. Uh, Like, below his sternum, more on his belly, his abs, I guess you could say, there are three images, three tattoos. They look like they would be sevens or ones or something, but they are Hebrew script, right? Indeed. I, I also thought they were uh, ones when I first saw Ride before I really knew. That's right. Now, it is actually a Hebrew letter. I've, I've seen it described as Vav or Wav, but basically it is in the Hebrew alphabet. And schizophrenics everywhere know that <laughs> Hebrew letters correspond to numbers gematria if you will so there's like aleph there's all these i can't do them all i don't know but like they correspond to numbers and or i i think i'm pretty sure it's the consonants rather than the vowels because of how hebrew is but anyway the ones that he has he has three of these on his chest they correspond to the number six so he has effectively six 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 in hebrew on his stomach Indeed. Like, this is not a reach, folks. This is fucking... This is straightforward. Like, we're not being schizos here. No, that's that's very clear. I mean, also, in his music, there's a lot of 666s, you know, going on. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. The next one. On his uh, stomach, on one side, there is just a devil, right? Another skull on the other side. And then the one that really made me feel like a genius, but then people also already knew, was on each shoulder. There is essentially 
I think it's fair to say a lot of people could I identify it. It it's like a ornamental looking thing. And if you have seen voodoo, you would know that looks like some voodoo stuff. But specifically, it is a vive from the voodoo tradition. And vive, I guess, are like religious symbols that correspond to spirits or gods or what have you. And this is specifically the vive for Papa Legba, right? Indeed. Now, Papa Legba is an interesting entity in voodoo. The uh, the charitable interpretation of Papa Legba, the one that I found from Hades Tourism website, actually, says that he is the guardian of the gates. He allows spirits to cross into the human world. Interesting. He guardian symbolizes the barrier between the two worlds, and then there's two perpendicular axes, and he's got like a you know, he also looks like a human sometimes, like he's got a whole thing going on. What I think is interesting is that MC Ride seems to like have a thing about like channeling, bringing spirits in. I wonder if he identifies with the figure of Papa Legba because he is doing that himself, you know? Yeah. No, you see, that's interesting because what you just said, and I, I truly don't know a lot about voodoo. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sending any disrespect. That's just a subject that I've chosen not to dig into. But just what you said about Guardian of the Gate, mm-hmm. um, to quote H.P. Lovecraft, uh, Yogg-Sothoth knows the gate, Yogg-Sothoth is the gate, Yogg-Sothoth is the key and Guardian of the Gate. And mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting back-to-back tattoos he has there of the same kind of you know theme because i'm sure lovecraft also you know picked up on the same themes you are yes and so between the necronomicon sigil of the gate and specifically the voodoo like entity of the gatekeeper we we're seeing like very much like a recurring theme here yes indeed also interesting that uh in certain traditions in certain countries papa legba is also a virile trickster deity oh really that's right often horned and phallic Hmm. like perhaps you know pan or certain versions of the devil yeah or even you know if you really dig in like um baphomet kind of has the same vibe which he obviously has tattoos of Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of like ethnomusicology that actually compares like Robert Johnson, you know, his the old blues man with his like, mm-hmm. you know, songs about the devil and the crossroads, all of that being informed by these like older traditions. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, much to think about. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, you know, I'm white and you're white. I don't know a whole lot about those sort of traditions when it comes to that sort of thing mm-hmm. of the whole, you know, the crossover with you know voodoo and christian imagery and catholic imagery and then more modern fucking lovecraftian imagery and whatnot but and again i'm basing this entirely off vibes so if i'm wrong shoot me but i feel like there is a theme with whatever ride has going on in his mind of Mm -hmm. like what he feels and believes that's right like for sure i'm not saying voodoo bad but well, no, I think voodoo's cool, but, uh, and again, I'm not passing any judgment to anyone. As a fucking white person from Ohio, I'm not touching it. That's not my lane. I uh, I don't want to get, you know, 
an anvil dropped on me or whatever. Yeah. But I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying not putting my hand on it. You know what I mean? Yes. That said, folks, don't summon Papa Legba. Do not do that. And do not ask for instructions on doing that in my Discord. Especially don't do that in Jimmy's Discord. Or I'm assuming Subliminal Jihad also. Yeah. How about this? Just don't do it online. If if somebody much older than you that is related to you hasn't told you, don't ask. It's not your not your business. You know? I'm, th- I'm thinking if you want to do that, you really probably ought to read some books and figure it out yourself. I mean, personally, and again, I'm not passing judgment, that feels like the kind of thing where if a very old person hasn't told you how to do it, maybe you're not supposed to know and i'm not a super (laughs) i'm not super into that but i'm willing to acknowledge that a lot of people who have tried that shit have met gruesome fates so uh you know what i'm not gonna play with fire not not my problem i'm not messing with it you know it's that's shit that's outside my realm i'm gonna keep uh fucking with british white occultists on twitter if they want to come to my house i'll gladly shoot them but (laughs) i'm not going to deal with the more metaphysical shit that's not my lane exactly (laughs) well said (laughs) thank you (laughs) but do go on with rise tattoos yes okay on his back we've got a very special symbol indeed Let's see here. Do you want to describe that? Because I know you had a good term. Do you mean the uh, Church of Satan style pentagram? Yes. The very specific one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he's got the uh, classic like Church of Satan Baphomet pentagram as opposed to, you know, your standard pentagram or really any other satanic pentagram. Like, you know, the copywritten one from the Anton LaVey Church of Satan. The classic, the one that teenagers love to use. Yeah, you know, you can shoplift that patch from Hot Topic. You can get it on Etsy, like that one. Mm-hmm. The, uh, like you said, the two stars, like pentagram, quote-unquote, upside down, goat's head, Hebrew letters on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of course, Death Grips loves their pentagrams. They've referenced it in a couple tracks. Mm-hmm. And so that's on his, like, uh, what is that? The left shoulder blade. And on the right is just the words death, which is sort of like, I think, doesn't need a lot of interpreting. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I almost struggle because I put myself in a ride's shoe sometimes. Um, I have a big tattoo of the word kill. So uh, that one, personally, I feel like is a uh, decision based along the lines of this would be cool. <laughs> I can't say that for sure, of course, but that's just the word death in a cool font. Yeah, I genuinely don't think it's like that deep for sure. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, I have several of those tattoos that are just things that are cool, so I'm not going to pass judgment. Yes. In fact, I would say in terms of like the art that he chooses to put separate from any spiritual meaning, I think his tattoos are pretty cool. Uh, I agree completely. And I will out myself right now. Several of my tattoos were inspired by his tattoos. Like I've got a couple that are not direct ripoffs, but heavily inspired by his, especially during my, you know, edgy cool kid phase when I was a teenager getting tattoos. Interesting. 
And uh, I, I won't out myself here, but I've got several tattoos that would get me absolutely canceled on parapolitics Twitter. <laughs> well, listen, it takes one to know one sometimes. Exactly. You know what? You, you had to have been there to understand. Well said. Transmission huffs your brain Exhale your will and forget I ever knew you Fuck do you do? Fuck a man with hips for Hulu Rack his snitch, talk and cue you Go in the pocket, consume you Too many hoes in my Too many hoes in my motherfucking meal Asking if I know how my motherfucker feels Motherfucker feels Split them choke, flip them both Dead bitch slow, swollen corpse No remorse Navigate it, of course, of course I can make the scream, but if you ask for more Bullshit, matador, grab your floor, rip it, try to avoid You ramble while I check my phone Who's next, assassin roll, music drifts, I have no Juicy clubs, you're on your own Same. I got that attitude, you got no fame 
I'm fit to hurt you Gives a fuck about the way I move Wait, dark matter Flu state of consciousness Blue straight through You won't do shit But beg me to do this Again, and again, and again, and again Strangler, clutch, sine wave Deconstruct my way Or no way Banging, pain, making lust Loosen us, shake, shake it up on a significant portion of his back, approaching his lower back, like mid-back, I guess, it's just one big crow tattoo. Indeed. You know, uh, we're looking at this nice chart that someone already made of the tattoos and the meaning, and it says that crows represent death or something. And it's like, I agree, but it also just looks like a cool crow. I mean, yeah. I mean, I definitely feel like, I mean, his entire back has the theme of death, between yes. the uh, Baphomet, Church of Satan, Pentagram, and the Crow, and the obvious fucking word death. <laughs> and in context, I, yes. Yeah, in context, that's clearly what that means with no ambiguity. But obviously, I'm not Ride. I don't know. Maybe it has a deeper personal meaning to him. But from where I'm sitting, it seems to me like it's another cool thing that goes with the other cool shimmels back, personally. Yes. Now, on the back of his neck is the symbol for infinity, the sideways eight-looking thing. Indeed. Interesting. Okay. What was the Manson thing, like the eternal now, right? Yes. Yeah, you can do that in the Abraxas and the, uh, you know, what is that Nisi shut the fuck up shit. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, obviously Ride and the rest of the band are obsessed with Ouroboros and symbology and whatnot that's right in fact he has an ouroboros on his left hand he indeed does and a different ouroboros than the uh you know common image that most people have seen yeah it is sort of in like a uh four rings like it's one snake but it's like four rings sort of intertwined type of thing yeah 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 no it's uh that's an interesting choice personally of the uh four rings almost looking like a celtic knot yes it does look like uh, that and uh, obviously i don't want to say the s word but it looks a little swastical uh not implying anything it just kind of does it doesn't not yeah yeah exactly and in his so interesting that's the left hand that he has that tattoo yes indeed which by the way like Tattoos of your palms, isn't that hurt really bad? Uh, so I've heard I do not have any tattoos on my palms, but from what I've heard from others, that is particularly painful. Is that, do you not have them on your palms for that reason or just never? Um, personally with me, I have no tattoos below my wrists on my hands. And the only reason for that is I've yet to find something that I think is good. And when you're a guy with a tattoo on your hands, that's your tattoo now you know what i mean Mm. like that is the one people remember unless you have a face tat like if you have fucking you know ozzy tattooed on your knuckles you're the guy with the ozzy tattooed on his knuckles no matter what other tattoos you have well you don't want to have the uh boondock saints thing on your fingers (laughs) or like uh love and hate that's a good one (laughs) oh yeah no i once met a guy that has p-i-z-z-z-z-z-a tattooed on his knuckles and in retrospect i should have kicked his ass but i didn't at the time interesting but no you know what i'm saying like when you get i mean obviously there's the incredibly important symbology of the hands Mm -hmm. and 
when you get a hand tattoo second only to your face that is the big one you know what i mean like when you have a tattoo on your hands and especially your palms and especially your knuckles that's a big one like that's the one yeah and it's like even when you're working people will see it even when like if anything goes on a police report it's that like yeah yeah or even just like a person you meet like you know if i meet a stranger and later on that stranger has to describe me to someone else they'll say like you know that's the guy with ozzy on his right hand or like you know whatever like mm-hmm. that's the thing the hands are very important sim- symbolically and so that's why i think rides you know tattoos on his palms are very interesting choices i think so now on his right hand is an even more interesting one right indeed so basically we're talking like it is more like the silhouette or outline but it's basically the straight elephus levy baphomet indeed now you described it as a silhouette or an outline i would describe it as a shadow Mm, yeah because like it is basically it doesn't have the distinct features it's just the shape but you know what it is for sure yeah yeah i mean baphomet is one of those things where a lot of people are wrong about what it means but you know when you see it yeah you know what it's about yeah especially to a guy like ride as opposed to your average you know hot topic shopper like baphomet has a very specific meaning to you know left-hand path folks compared mm-hmm. to you know either your standard christian or your you know further extreme christian or your average hot topic shopper <laughs> yes and to a guy like ride i feel like he definitely like has a further connection with that symbology than your average edgy guy yes do you think it's like a joke almost that he puts that on his right hand what is like an image of like the left hand path for some people i mean yeah and obviously baphomet is a fucking joke and i'm not even trying to be mean like it literally is yeah like really if you think about it like baphomet is the equivalent of making like a soy boy wojack of your uh political opponents <laughs> like that's basically some guy back in the day doing that for uh muslims but <laughs> yeah no because obviously you know baphomet is a parody like you know what i mean yes yeah so it's interesting to like and especially having like a completely blacked out shadow of baphomet when he easily could have had like a more detailed outline yeah i don't know there's something about that to me especially having known personally people on kind of both sides of the aisle for that subject when it comes to like you know left-hand pathism and occultism and whatever like having a completely blacked out shadow on your right hand of baphomet you know it feels like that classic like satanic parody you know the one i'm talking about which which one well not specifically but like you know the vibe of like kind of like you know a black mass is a parody yes that sort of thing like you know you do a black mass which is you do a catholic mass backwards and then you know you do whatever other little fucked up spin you want to do on it that kind of thing it does seem very like because like I think it's safe to say that, like, with all of these tattoos total, he's clearly, like, familiar with multiple magical traditions. So, like, yeah, he, 
I would assume is very conversant in the surface reading, the deeper meanings, like the different levels and interpretations of what that symbol means. And he has yeah. it nevertheless. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Now he's got one that is like a circle with a cross in it. And that has been described as a Gnostic symbol. I mean, it also is a geometric shape. So there's some deniability, but. I mean, yeah, I would, if I had to guess, I would say it was the Gnostic symbol he was going for. Mm -hmm. Obviously that shape is incredibly common amongst a billion different cultures and spiritual systems and whatnot. Yeah. But judging by the theme he has going on, that would be the best guess for me. Like, <laughs> yes, the guy with like, you know, hydroplane act abraxas going on in the first line of his first song on money store is clearly a bit more dialed in than you know this is a cool looking shape i think i think it's safe to say um the thing on his like left side i couldn't even really make it out very clearly what it was i mean i know there's a spider involved as well but i can't um, even really see what it, what that is you mean like kind of going on his left arm uh no like on his uh left side of his uh like stomach um, let me pull up a reference image real quick oh yeah no there's like yeah the spider and then the kind of uh silhouette of like a classical devil image yeah next to the uh hebrew 666 <laughs> that's right and then there's more skulls and then he's got the lines and bars going down his arm i wanted to ask you the symbols above the fly on his like left shoulder yeah those that's an interesting thing to me um i don't know obviously i've heard people say that it looks like a midi track you know what i'm talking about like when you're yeah. producing electronic music i've heard people say that's what it is and that seems plausible to me i don't know obviously it's him it's his own thing it's his body but I've seen people post like MIDI tracks designed to mimic that tattoo. And I mean, it sounds like a beat, you know what I mean? That might be a more personal thing, but there's clearly a rhythm to that. If you were to put it to a MIDI track, um, if you look on like 4chan archive or like fucking Reddit or some shit, you can find people recreating um, those four lines of dots in a MIDI program to kind of make the beat, obviously, whatever it means to him. I don't know. But that seems the most plausible to me because it doesn't really add up to anything else that I know of. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because it looks almost like a, it looks like a vertical QR code, but it it's not that like, or like it looks like some sort of code, you know. But like, I like what this says. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever fucked around with like Ableton or whatever, like any music making program? Not really. I mean, I, I'm in Audacity, but like just to record, so. No, it's that looks to me like a MIDI track, like if you were making music mm -hmm. for like a rap song or whatever, like an electronic beat, pretty much. You know, the top line represents one beat and then the middle line represents another and then the one below represents another. And then, you know, they all play it once and it creates a song. To me, that's what it looks like. I don't know, obviously, but that's what I see out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then I think maybe the last significant one would be the uh, interesting code or series of numbers that he has on his uh, 
I guess it's like below his right breast. Yeah. It's the numbers 4131295. Indeed. Now, as for the the numerological significance of that, I was actually wondering, I didn't think I would be able to put it together. I assumed it would be like a personal significance. You know? Mm-hmm. But let's see, this nice chart that we have that just lays them all out again like anything death grips is plausible but not certain yes i mean of course you know labyrinths are another theme that comes up in his lyrics a lot um yeah i don't know i numerology is extremely not my strong suit and you know planetology and that sort of thing is also not my strong suit the little grid i sent you I'm willing to believe it, but I'm not going to say for sure in any direction. Again, if you know any guys who are really good at this sort of thing, I would ask them. Yes, but what I I do like this interpretation because yeah. this thing that we're looking at, right, with all the chart of the different tattoos, I I think that they're on pretty much accurate about everything else. So it makes me inclined to appreciate this interpretation. I'll just yeah. read it. I don't know sure. where this is from, Reddit or something. Um, yeah, I think this image was probably made on 4chan and then reposted to Reddit, just judging by the vibe. Yes, that's good, because <laughs> as dumb as 4chan is, Reddit's even dumber, so that's Absolutely. good. Okay, it says, The seven dwarfs, i.e. the largest or significant seven trans-Pluto dwarf planets, which is to say, like, historically, you know, the ones that people could see. Yes. Correspond to the seven rays. Interesting. Okay. With one planet per ray. In order from the largest to the smallest, these rays are three, two, one, four, seven, six, five. The ordering is significant. Uh, and it sort of goes on and on, but it basically, like, what were we talking about, Dakota? But the, the seven rays, we were talking about Indeed. that, right? Let me pull up that again. No, that that comes up a lot, and uh, yeah, I'm not from... sure how well versed you are on your uh, Disney occultism, but I've heard that <laughs> reference to uh, several different uh, Disney works as well. Oh, really? Yeah, aside from the obvious seven dwarfs. Um, that's right. Yeah, if you ever do a uh, Disney occult episode, I feel like that's a subject that will come up because I've heard that reference before with uh, people talking about you know the occult significance of uh, Disney tales and whatnot and the seven dwarfs <laughs> and the cosmic labyrinth and all that mm. stuff, seven rays. Now, earlier in Shrek's Manson file, which by the way, we should return to like, what the fuck is up with Nicholas Shrek, but oh yeah, supposedly Manson spent time at a religious cult in Topanga Canyon's Inn of the Seven Rays. There were seven people killed at the Tate Law Bianca houses and then Michael Bertio, the spooky white voodoo guy ruled over a monastery of the seven rays now i have a little bit about the seven rays that i actually prepared for a different episode but i'll shoot my load here and talk a little bit about it right now as well let's go so basically it's a theosophical thing uh it is probably initially based on that astronomical theory of like the seven planets or whatever but it also supposedly corresponds to three major aspects and four minor attributes, each of these being equaling seven rays total. So it's like 
will, love, wisdom, and intelligence are the main three. And then the assistants are, I don't know where, fuck, where does it say? It doesn't matter. This is all made up bullshit anyway. Yeah, but the, fuck that new age shit anyway. The point is that basically the seven rays represent positions, not specific entities. It all points to a bodhisattva matreya, which is supposedly a figure who will come and usher in a new era. Okay, I see. Here it is. The different characteristics, power and strength, wisdom, adaptability, harmony, beauty, science, purity, ordered service. Last one being ceremonial magic. And there are so many fucking cults that allude to the seven rays. You will see it pop up. Like if you basically pay attention and know that it's a recurring like mimetic idea within like theosophy. So basically the TLDR here is that all of MC Ride statues are a cult. Like, are there any other than the ones that are just like death or a crow or like a spider or a skull, which are not, not magical. Most of them are like specifically magical tattoos, right? Yeah. No, as far as I know, um, the bars on his right hand are pretty much the only ones that aren't. Yes. Because that's a classic, uh, like just punk scene tattoo. I mean, I've got bars like that on my leg, like that's a bit more old school i don't know how long he's had a lot of his tattoos um i sent you some of the older videos of ride before death grips when he was in fire and um he was wearing a shirt for once so it's kind of hard to tell Mm -hmm. but um the uh, black bars like i said i have those too that's kind of a insider scene thing yeah it just looks cool yeah i mean yeah they look cool there's a meaning to them to some people but it's extremely subjective but outside of that and like maybe those weird dots that i said i think are a midi track um pretty much the rest of them have at least some occult significance interesting get your fucking dog in here go go fucking burn you trying to process you trying to process kill your broke hard shit Fuck I said, fuck it out, star shit. Come, come, I hover above you, like blood out your mouth I'll become you, opening up the mouth Unlawful possession, jellyfish and goes where deep in Hollow swirls and disconnection, people swirl My entrance, hijack no questions asked Stretch one like latex mask, my scissors are up and tear Come fuck a pardon here. Ah. I'm not kidding. 
Daddy Marcia, history your destiny. Hysteric spring melt. Don't worry, interview. You'll all be somewhere else. Prepare yourself. Freelance motherfucker. It's so fucking dark in here. Come, come, fuck apart in here. Ah, trying to process you. Trying to process kill drum go hard shit. Fuck, I said, fuck, I don't start shit. Emerald tablet apartment toxic. Come, come, fuck apart in here. Ah. First, I wanted to ask you, by the way, with Nicholas Shrek, I personally think that not only are some of his uh, understandings of, I don't know, the swastika and occultism perhaps questionable, but perhaps some of his interpretations of Charlie Manson are questionable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Charles Manson post-life imprisonment is very uh, easy to kind of appropriate to whatever you know specific thing you want to go for mm-hmm. and i know our friends at subliminal jihad got into that a lot deeper but um no nicholas streck and uh xena i think levey everybody knows about them and they've kind of appropriated that for their own means which is kind of interesting to me because charles manson died like less than five years ago and it's already like you know the classic like appropriating a religious figure for your own beliefs because mm-hmm. um you know what say what you will but uh charles manson is one of the few 20th century religious figures <laughs> yeah i mean it's uh it's him the dalai lama mother Teresa, <laughs> like uh hitler a few other gurus um tammy Faye. <laughs> wait i don't know who that is oh my god tammy Faye. so uh cut this but Look at a Tammy Faye. Oh fuck, she looks. Also, no Tammy Faye. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I said <laughs> you can hear Laura pitching in. Uh, that's yeah, a yeah. whole book of fucking worms. Whoa. Okay, yeah, I know. So, uh, I know Jim Baker. Um, I just didn't know her. Uh, yeah, no. Okay. We'll get back on subject in just a sec. But <laughs> please make a little bookmark for that in your brain. Please, yeah. God, read into all of that holy shit okay because i do know about jim baker because of accounting mainly actually yeah no trust me there's a whole fucking yeah whole labyrinth you can get into but uh okay all right back on okay where were you so i guess we're talking about nicholas shrek yes did you have anything else you wanted to say about him i know that like like what i would say is like personally from what I what I know, which is not everything about Manson or Shrek, I would not willingly immediately concede the meaning of Charles Manson's life to whatever Nicholas Shrek says, is what I would say. No, absolutely. I mean, the nicest thing you can say about the guy is that he's a grifter. Um, <laughs> and obviously, we all know his connection to the Leves. So definitely when it comes to him, you almost have to hope he's just grifting because if not, he's been involved in some really, you know, shitty stuff in that kind of post-Manson family, post-process, 
you know, cult yeah. scene. Yes. Like, I think it's probably significant in as much as he reflects what a lot of occultists think about Charles Manson. Yeah. Not that it's accurate, necessarily. Yeah, I think that's fair. So his reading of Charles Manson is probably significant in as much as MC Ride might have read it, the Manson file. Not necessarily that it's like the objective truth. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm 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 trying to be kind of neutral with it because honestly, my personal opinion is that he's both a piece of shit and a total fucking grifter, obviously. <laughs> but uh, you know, speaking objectively, yeah, he's no different than a fucking like you know mega church preacher and an evangelicalist and what what whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So here's what I would say. And I'm interested to hear your thought on this because I know you know the trajectory of the band more than I do. Mm-hmm. So the timeline is interesting to me. Okay. They form as a band in 2010. They drop their EP and then their mixtape ex-military in 2011. Yes. And between 2011 and 2012, they fucking explode in popularity. Yeah. Ex-military really kind of shakes the world. Now, let me see. I have a chronology here. Me too. Now, the timeline is what's very interesting to me because of how things play out. So, ex-military comes out in April 2011. Damn, that was 12 years ago. Holy shit. I know. And then in February 2012, so less than a year later, they signed with Epic Records. Yes, indeed. Now, they were scouted by... Epic Records, then executive vice president of marketing, a lady named Angelica Cobb Baylor. Okay. She had seen the video Guillotine, and she said, it took about six seconds I was just sucked in when I saw a band that had the ability to capture violent, raw aggression in a way I hadn't seen this decade. I couldn't sleep that night. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was scared of them. I couldn't resist the feeling of just wanting to be a part of it. (laughs) So, in October of 2011, she brought Zach Hill and Stephen Burnett, MC Ride, in for a meeting with a record executive named L.A. Reed. L.A. Reed was the newly appointed chairman and CEO of Epic Records. She said, it's funny because Zach did most of the talking. Stephen, or Stephen was just sitting there with his arms crossed. He wasn't saying anything. He was just looking at the ground. At the end of the meeting, L.A. Reed said, we really believe in this music and we want to make you part of this family. But here's the deal. We want to sign you today. Stephen looks up and goes, that's what I'm talking about. By 10 o'clock that night, they were signed. So the details of that come from a spin article, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in July of 2011, right, that was prior to this point. So he had only been, L.A. Reed became the CEO. So he had only been the CEO for a couple months. All right. But L.A. Reed signs some very interesting artists to Epic Records. Yeah. Artists such as Future, who I, I like a lot. Also, he signed Yo Gotti, who, I'm just going to say it, probably killed Young Dolph. Okay. He also signed DJ Khaled. All right. Who has a career for a reason I cannot possibly imagine. 
Yeah, I, I, that, he seems like the kind of guy who has some like hard drives stashed away in uh, Switzerland somewhere. Yeah, it's just completely inscrutable. He doesn't seem to know how to do anything. I don't don't get me started. <laughs> and then he signed Travis Scott. Oh. Hmm. He's been in the news lately. Interesting. Indeed. And also, I think it has been alleged pretty convincingly is a industry plant. Yeah, no, I would actually say for certain. And then uh, we could do a whole other episode on the rest of that. Yeah. Yeah. Travis Scott industry plant. Yo Gotti. Basically an axe man, I guess. Future, probably a snitch. DJ Khaled, musician for no discernible reason. These are some interesting artists, I would argue. Almost a who's who of rap snitches, industry plants, and sus musicians. Oh, yeah, wait, yeah. Travis Scott is the one with the big occult sacrifice ritual at one of his shows. <laughs> and then that very same night, the Process Church of the Final Judgment lit up the Empire State Building in blood red. Um, it was the following day, actually, but yes. Because Astroworld was at night, and then the following morning, um, that happened. Okay. So, by the way, I neglected to mention, Epic Records is owned by Sony, right? Okay. Indeed. Major record label. All right. Now... They sign in February 2012. In October 2012, No Love Deep Web is released. Yeah. And then in November 2013, Government Plates comes out. Okay. And there's a lot of uh, things going on. But to finish the story with Epic Records, basically, basically the lady who found them and her team had left and they were kind of left in the lurch. There's a lot of unknowns still, but that's one of the factors in the upheaval with Death Grips and Epic Records. We'll get to that in a second, yeah. Yeah, the big story is the only one I know, really. Mm-hmm. Now, if we look, if we put on our Dave McGowan hat and look at what Epic Records was doing back in the Laurel Canyon scene, Hey, Dakota, would you be surprised to find out that Epic Records signed Crosby, Stills, and Nash? (laughs) I wish I would be surprised, but yes, I believe that. Which is to say they signed several guys who don't know how to play their instruments and Neil Young. (laughs) Right? Indeed, indeed. (laughs) They also signed Buffalo Springfield, a certain guy named Ted Nugent. One of our favorites. Folks, friend of the pod, Ted Nugent. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Now, I wanted to postulate this to you, Dakota. So there are really two sources of Death Grip's popularity, other than the intrinsic qualities of the music. There are tastemakers online who you can bribe, okay? Mm -hmm. And there are anonymous message boards which love Death Grip's. Indeed. Now, what I would postulate to you is that Epic Records, which has been involved in sus musicians in the past, and including, I mean, sort of like their bread and butter is industry plants. And so here's Death Grips with a savvy new marketing strategy that they seemingly start before they're signed. I'm just raising the possibility. Do you think that there might have been a like a record relationship prior to the supposed public 
like timeline and B to what extent do you think that death grips it le- even like after they're signed to what extent do you think their actions are representative of like record label stuff basically you see that's a hard one for me because like i don't want to sound like i'm shilling for death grips but Mm -hmm. knowing their actions with the release of no love deep web everything they released afterwards i don't mean the music i mean like the process of releasing them Mm -hmm. i almost feel like they were a failed industry plant like they wanted to plant these guys and they were too i don't know like i said i'm trying not to sound like i'm shilling for these guys but what they did with epic records was pretty fucking cool <laughs> a real chumba wamba move yeah like it's real hard because i i don't i know the details may or may not be made up but the facts are true that they got dropped from the label when they leaked their own album with obviously the infamously zach hill's penis with no love deep web written on it and in fact may i recommend you look up uh, where that picture of zach hill's penis was taken because that's a whole nother fucking can of worms but, Wait, where where was it i don't think i know that a very interesting hotel in california okay yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but um and they leaked that album objectively because obviously epic didn't make a lot of fucking money off of it um because they leaked it like a month before it was supposed to come out so i almost wonder if they were selected you know by the label to be the new thing and they rejected that selection in a way yes that is my contention i don't think that their dispute with the label was fake i do think that possibly they were maybe industry plants that went rogue or something i think that's plausible I think possibly some of the buzz and the coverage that they got prior to being signed might have been artificial, which is not to say that like the music is bad or that they aren't like, I'm just raising the possibility. I mean, I know some of the tracks on the money store were used in like adult swim promos and that sort of thing. Yes. Um, and I know Harvest Records, I don't know the deets on that company, but I know they ended up buying out the rights to No Love Deep Web and some of their other stuff afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I almost wonder if they're like failed industry plants. Like they wanted them to be like that. And then for whatever reason, maybe Ride was just too punk, which is what I would like to believe. I obviously don't trust anyone anymore, but maybe they were just they didn't like it they didn't like being told what to do they didn't like being planted in that way because there's you know the uh anecdote about them going into uh epic records slash sony's offices and vandalizing the bathrooms and you know causing a whole big scene yes before you know being kicked out of the fucking building and then leaking their own album <laughs> and uh they leaked it on some deep web or dark web or whatever you fucking call it file hosting website and then posted that on 4chan because they're obviously intimately related to 4chan mm-hmm. and then you know that whole ordeal which to me if we're speaking you know putting myself in the shoes of some you know evil ass record industry guy that's a bad move 
purely financially, I'm sure they lost money on that. Mm -hmm. And really, with at least some stuff like that, especially in this day and age, in the internet age, not talking like, you know, weird scenes in the Canyon age, follow the money. They lost money on doing that, which is why I'm willing to believe their story. Yes. Here's now, here's a counter story. Oh, yeah. Possibility. Okay. Possibly they were industry plants. And then they were, I believe them when they say they were unhappy at Epic Records. I have a quote here from Zach Hill where he says, in the time it took to finish the record, Cobb Baylor, well, this is from an article, but it says, in the time it took to finish the record, Cobb Baylor, their most devoted advocate at Epic, and their project manager, Arjun Uli Jal, had been let go from the label. The, and then Zach Hill is saying, the small team that we had who had their own problems with trying to represent what we were trying to do, those people disappeared. So we ended up being basically straight up ghosts in the building if we weren't already. We went down to LA to try to basically force entry and get answers or solutions as to what was going on with the band. And like you said, they end up doing a bit of vandalism, leaking their album, et cetera, et cetera. I believe that that is true. Yeah, me too. My suggestion to you, because they end up switching to Harvest Records, which is owned by Capital Music Group. My theory is that perhaps they additionally saw some behavior at Epic Records and perhaps were lined up to be a certain type of thing and then they were really not down with what was planned and maybe switched to a different major record label, right? They went from basically one major record label to another. I'm not disputing like their indie cred. I think they leaking their own album and all of that is like, Pretty cool. I agree. But <laughs> I'm just raising the possibility that they possibly jump ship from one type of industry plant to another. Yeah, I would say that's within the realm of possibility. I mean, that's a pretty big operation, all things considered. Mm -hmm. Because um, I know that at least their, as of right now, final studio album, Year of the Snitch, was released in their own independent record label, um, Third Worlds, we were talking about earlier. Well, I think it's a vanity label. I don't think know so? to what it... Well, I think it is, because it's like it ends up getting released still on Harvest, right? Was that... Were they just on Harvest for a temporary period of time? I'm not sure, because when you... If you buy an album of Death Grips post-Epic and pre-Harvest or post-Harvest, as far as I know... It doesn't say Harvest. It's all third world stuff. Now that could easily be fake or like, you know, a sub company of a sub company of a sub company. So yeah. I can't say for sure, but I would definitely say that's within the realm of possibility. I think I'm looking at Year of the Snitch and it says it's released through third worlds and Harvest Records. So if I had to guess, I would guess that third worlds is a vanity label on Harvest Records, okay. which is owned by Capital. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would definitely believe that. Now, I did have one or two things still. In terms of, like, I believe they were unhappy at Epic Records for the reasons they said, possibly some reasons they didn't say. Potentially related? Maybe not. I'm just throwing this out there. In 2017, it was announced that L.A. Reed, the CEO of Epic Records, 
would exit as the label's CEO. Following his exit, it was reported that Reed had been accused of sexual harassment by multiple Epic employees. Oh, really? So, I'm just throwing it out there. I've I've seen footage. <laughs> like, what did Death Grips know? Did they not like the vibes? Did they know something, perhaps? I'm trying to raise the possibility of, like, good intentions here, actually. Like, maybe they knew some shit, you know? I don't know. Yeah, easily. Get up! Knees, not wasting, swallow my knees! I stay knees! I stay knees! Get up! Knees, not wasting, swallow my knees! I stay knees! I see foot, what's that? Can't tell, they hell drink, shot in hell, these best shadow drink. Show me something I ain't seen before, I'm mystery hunter. That door juice that fuck like drug juice the fuck with the sign, so why in that house? Would you like to know another uh, fun fact about Year of the Snitch, their last album? Absolutely. 
Um, that album was released on the birthday of Linda Kasabian of the Manson family, famously the uh, key witness who received immunity and whatnot in the uh, prosecution of the Man- Manson family. Interesting. And that that's not a... Knowing Death Grips, there's no way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Year of the Snitch, too. She was a yeah. snitch. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that, that album was released on her birthday. <laughs> hmm... Are we talking rap snitches? Huh? <laughs> That's more your lane than mine, but definitely within the realm. Hmm. The uh, famous anecdote where um, they wanted Death Grips was really set on releasing No Love Deep Web on Halloween. Um, I want to say 2012, um, whatever year No Love Deep Web came out. Yes, 2012. Okay. And they were really set on releasing that on Halloween because, you know, that's cool and whatever. And um, Epic Records wanted to push that back for whatever reason, I think, into early 2013. I mean, it does make sense to, like, not do two of their best albums in the same year. Like, no, that would be a normal good move, I think. Yeah, I mean, sure. But at the same time, Halloween is cool, as we all know. <laughs> you know, yeah. Gigi Allen always wanted to kill himself on Halloween, that sort of thing. <laughs> but, um... They famously, you know, got in a pretty huge disagreement with that that led to Zach Hill and Ride um, basically storming the building after their meeting with, you know, whatever suits. And Ride, like, you know, smashed up the bathroom, one of the corporate offices, fucking smashed up a bunch of people's desks and ran off. And they fucked off. And then there was this big, huge lawsuit that they got stuck in. And most of that is sealed for whatever reason. Hmm. And uh, Andy Marin, Flatlander, is seemed to be the one that represented the band in court. Uh, according to <laughs> court documents that I saw, it seemed to be him that was the one that represented them in court. I don't know why. They're not beating the, there's something fucking weird going on with this band allegations. Absolutely not. But that ended up getting settled out of court as far as i know and then obviously they got kicked off of epic records but that lawsuit was real like you know i've seen footage i've seen the papers (laughs) of that lawsuit like that was not like a fucking um you know publicity stunt that really did happen and that lawsuit was dragged on for a long ass time Hmm. so i don't know i think that's kind of a weird thing sealed that's interesting yeah no it's really hard to find um after a certain point i presumably quote unquote because of online interest um the whole suit ended up getting sealed until it was concluded out of court and like i'm gonna say this i'm pretty sure they didn't get completely fucked on that deal which raises the question is andy flatlander a fucking lawyer i don't know what the that guy is such a ghost i don't know what he's up to i don't know what he does i even in preparation for this episode i was trying to find something on him and that guy is a ghost i don't know what he does man like these are not like dumb guys in the first place but then on top of that they managed to fight with labels who like these labels literally fucking murder people sometimes oh yeah so like the idea that they're facing down a record label and acting like brats basically and then basically getting away from a bad deal you know raises the possibility like what kind of leverage or ground what kind of like 
rounds did they have to get out, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's just a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah, and of course, you know, Flatlander is so hard to find anything on that I really don't know. Like, what his personal life, his background, his family, any of that shit. I don't know anything about that guy. Yeah, I don't think anybody does. I don't know. No, I... He's released some good tracks on his own thing. He does, uh, it's called A2B2 now, but I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything about him. If any of the listeners could ever, uh, you know, give us an update after this episode comes out, that would be cool. Now, basically the band, they took their major record label advance, right? Yeah. They basically moved into the Chateau Marmont. Oh, really? They used... And they basically blew through their entire, like, advance by moving into the Chateau Marmont. Now, is that where the music video for Come Up and Get Me was filmed? I'm not sure, actually. If it looks to be in, like, an old, nice hotel, then I would guess it is. No, because, yes, now that you've said that, I remember, um, yes, Come Up and Get Me was filmed at the uh, Chateau Marmont. Hmm. Now, let me see here. The Chateau, for the listeners out there, the Chateau Marmont is a very expensive hotel, and it is famously a place where celebrities stay, right? Yeah. Now, I want to say tons of people have stayed there for varying lengths of time. Uh, Courtney Love, right? (laughs) Uh, Hunter S. Thompson. Oh, all our faves. Johnny Depp. Anthony Kiedis, you know, lots of uh, very <laughs> James Franco. Uh, <laughs> interesting. And uh, no, actually, now I feel really dumb because I forgot the name Chateau Marmont because I told that little story earlier about mm-hmm. uh, the cover of No Love Deep Web with uh, Zach Hill's dick. That's right. That picture was taken at the uh, Chateau Marmont in the bathroom. Exactly. Okay. Now, now, basically, what they did was they took their money and just blew it. But it was like a calculated chaos magic move because they basically, there are all these interviews where they explain themselves, but let me see. There's like a passage where they describe success. Yeah, here it is. So this is, I think, Sack Hill talking. He says, well, Here's from an an article, and it includes a quote from Zach Hill. It says, For the next two months, the Marmont was the band's control station as they played an illusion game against everyone they were working with, learning through full infiltration about Hollywood's social hierarchy. Now, Zach Hill says, All these artists want to work towards being able to live at that place. A lot of people, that's their version of success. So we put ourselves in what people's version of success is and burn through what we had to experience. But what it did for us was make us realize that this isn't success at all. This is a joke. We were about to torch all of that while living in the building. Everything pretty much was essentially done from that place. And so, like you said, that's where they took the dick pic that becomes the album cover. That's basically, they were living in the bougiest place when they basically just lit their career on fire. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. And uh, 
a bit of respect for that, at least in theory. No, I think it's cool. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. I would also argue that it is very much a magical act. Oh, for sure. Let me ask you, Dakota. Do you play or have you played Magic the Gathering? Uh, unfortunately, no. So you'll have to uh, kind of give me the quick run through. Dakota, you never fail to disappoint in terms of uh, being too cool for stupid bullshit. <laughs> I know. I'm simply too cool. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, but you know the general idea. It's like a yes. card game for nerds. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So Zach Hill says, in this period, they talking about they're staying at Chateau Marmont. He says... Throughout the past year, there's been a lot of disenchantment within our camp, just feeling let down by ourselves and everybody around us. I had been having conversations with my younger brother, who's 26. He's a major gamer. He runs D&D at conventions and has been on 4chan since he was 14. So he's talking philosophy, strategies, different decks you use in Magic the Gathering. And we started talking about the control deck. I'd been reading about parallel things that were totally separate from gaming, the idea of using people's powers against them. I mean, it's an insane notion. Control decks in real life. But I've always been very interested in magic, more psychologically, like magical thinking. Anyway, when we moved out to where we recorded No Love, we went to Los Angeles to force meetings with Epic and force people to listen to the record. We are walking down Sunset, looking for a place to stay, and it clicked. I'm familiar with Chateau Marmont and what it represents historically. I started thinking about everything that had been developing over the course of a year, all these conversations with my brother, my own thinking. Stephen and I started talking about the control deck and formulated these ideas on the pavement. We basically moved in there for two months to mirror people we were working with and learn about that culture, which was somewhat in control of our own destiny at this point. Initially, the whole idea was infiltration. It's not what you could consider a smart move financially or logically, but the place we're coming from sometimes transcends logic. So we lived there for a couple months. It's where we did the album artwork, took the photo, leaked the record. We got into the history of that place and started making our own history. It was interesting because for everybody from the label, it was totally real to be like, yeah, we moved into the chateau. They'd be like, oh, great. I lived there for two months. <laughs> I never learned so much about the social aspects of humans and what certain people do to people than I did within that two-month period. It was insightful and insane and dark and weird. There's another energy within that building. It sounds cliche and everybody says it's haunted, but we felt the building was talking to us on a minute-to-minute -minute basis. Really? We started Death Grips feeling we had this relationship with things separate from the group, and this experience reaffirms that to the maximum. I would wake up in the middle of the night and the CD player would just be blasting lock your doors. <laughs> Essentially, we gave to the place and it gave back to us. There have been what we call flashes since we started Death Grips. This real relationship with listening deeper to everything happening around us every day. If you pay attention, it's just insane how there's this dialogue you can have with life and the unknown. If you're awake to certain things in life, they tell you what to do. We believe in that. We live by that. We're experiencing that every day. This was a perfect example. You're not supposed to be able to walk into the chateau off the street, and we did just that and moved in there for two months. It was obvious this was what we were supposed to do. One more thing. 
the room where we did everything was room 77 on the seventh floor. That's just the room I was assigned. Really? I'm telling you. I'm telling you, Dakota. They did it as a magical act, and they lit their career on fire as a magical act. And then, like a phoenix, they were reborn from the ashes. You know, you you make a very strong point there. I don't know, dude. I just I just drink blood, dude. <laughs> Here's an interesting thing. Um, I was thinking about what you were saying, and I was kind of looking up the uh, Chateau Marmont in relation to the uh, music industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
the debut solo album of one Graham Parsons, the cover of that was also taken in the uh, Chateau Marmont. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, uh, Graham Parsons in particular, um, yes. especially the cover photo of his self-titled album, really stood out to me with, you know, rituals and whatnot occurring at that place. So that's a really interesting uh, perspective. Hmm. Much to think about. Indeed. Let me see here. I know it's a little out of order, but I just wanted to make the point. I don't think it's a long thing. Uh, in 2012, they had the ARG, the alternative reality game. Yes, that started on 4chan, didn't it? I think so. Or at least it's probably where they like posted it oh. and so forth. And I... So this would have been when they were st- when they were on Epic Records, which means that the record label probably helped them do it, if I had to guess. Yeah, probably. And basically what they did was they had encrypted archive files hosted on the Tor network. Okay. And they the game basically had different types of encryption, including Braille, QR codes, QR codes. Other ciphers, binary, Morse code, a bunch of others that I'm not even really familiar with. And they basically, the thing had people getting on tour to participate. Now, what's interesting is just the idea of getting people onto tour. Yeah, yeah, never a good idea, folks. (laughs) For those of you listening at home. No matter what album you've heard has been leaked on uh, tour, um, don't go on there. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. No, because it's just like they're getting people onto tour. Obviously, the album is called No Love Deep Web. But, I mean, just every arc is basically trying to get people into either like crypto, like cryptography or occultism very much often both yeah i would say so that's definitely kind of a uh, you know introductory cryptography lesson for all the you know regular old nor- nerds out there in the world yeah and it's like you don't need to have 4chan people getting on tour come on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no that's uh it, it's never worth it folks you might think it's worth it it's not mm-hmm. i was gonna say i'm not gonna read much of these other uh interviews here but basically i want to say this is zach hill talking yeah it's zach hill and he's talking about basically he basically is talking about like an awakening happening on the internet and an elevating of consciousness both of these are basically theosophical concepts so it's just like further proving the point that they're into theosophical magic concepts. Yes. Yeah, right here. Zach Hill talks about how Death Grips music is about advancement and human progression. (laughs) Never a series of words you want to hear, by the way. Also theosophy. Also, let's see here. uh, The Money Store album has, I think, maybe in the liner notes, I think it says... We're feminist. We support homosexuality and individualism. We're in favor of a transparent world leadership. Interesting. Now, I I like most of those things, but, and I like the term, but like transparent world leadership. 
transparent doing a lot of heavy lifting with regards to the term world leadership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I can't say for sure if that's on the liner notes of the money store or not. Um, I actually have that on vinyl. Mm. And I know there's a couple of interesting like uh, photos kind of included with the uh, liner notes of that. I don't know about the additional text outside of the lyrics and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Oh, right here. I found Zach Hill saying, not to sound pretentious, but in a weird way, our first album sounds like a self-prophesizing statement. And it's like, yes, it literally is. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. It's so interesting. He said, it's crazy that life has ended up mirroring exactly what we've been doing from the start. No, yeah, I would say uh, ex-military is, uh, and Money Store, but especially ex-military, definitely the uh, mouth of the Ouroboros. <laughs> they released No Love Deep Web during a full moon. Interesting. Interesting. Would you like me to share a Death Grips fun fact that uh, the listeners at home can uh, read into all they like? Go ahead. No, this is um, the release of their um, second to last album, Bottomless Pit, was started with a bunch of uh, promos on YouTube, which were a, uh, a very old actress who actually died the same year that uh, those promos were released, reading a script written by Zach Hill. And the uh, actress is uh, Karen Black, who got her big start as a, uh, to quote Wikipedia, LSD tripping prostitute in Dennis Hopper's road film, Easy Rider, 1969. Hmm. Kind of an interesting selection. Yeah, like, oh man. And uh, I believe she was reading the script. I don't know if it was a movie or a sketch or a play or whatever that uh, Zach Hill had written called Bottomless Pit that she was kind of reading off of. Um, she was either in a bed or maybe laying down on the couch, something like that. I'm pulling it out of memory. But she was just kind of blankly reading the script off. And um, all of the video titles were Bottomless Pit. And that was before they officially announced the album. But uh, I've always felt like that was an uh, interesting choice to uh, promote their album, Bottomless Pit, with that particular actress. And um, just to um, you know, bring it full circle, um, Karen Black was also a Scientologist. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> like, from start to finish, they are entirely in conversation with Laurel Canyon sus-ass shit. No, absolutely. Like, I just, I can't shake the opinion that basically they are like a Dave McGowan-ass Laurel Canyon band, and all of their preoccupations are the same things, ranging from, like, being an industry plant, advancing some weird occult theosophical tradition that they believe in themselves, but then you got to wonder, like, are the record executives also into it? And then they are fighting, but not necessarily about, you know, what, like, what exactly are they fighting about? Like, yeah, and... You know, as we all know, the classic, like, you know, weird scenes, Laurel Canyon method isn't the marketing method, you know, in the 20 teens and to this day. Like, that's not the same series of moves that one would make to promote their album. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which I've always found weird. They were, they were almost, I mean, they're definitely aware of, you know, that scene and, you know, all the connections, both occult and CIA and whatnot. So it's kind of weird that they were like, so aware of that 
almost 50 years later, like almost recreating that in like a, you know, black mass sort of way. Yeah, like, Dakota, you've seen Under the Silver Lake. Oh, absolutely. Love that film. Me too. So you know the guy kind of like loses his mind deciphering the song lyrics and so forth. Indeed, we've all been there. <laughs> we've all been there. You wouldn't be listening to Program to Chill if you didn't have that fundamental, you know, impulse, perhaps. Indeed. Like, what I am suggesting, right, is that, like, to a certain extent, this is a formula. They know that, like, if there is mystery in a band, it will provoke people to talk about it endlessly. I don't know of very many bands that are discussed as much and with such height detail as Death Grips, you know? Oh, no, especially not, like, a modern band. Mm -hmm. And so, like... Like, Death Grips has shown themselves to be deeply familiar with the occult, but they've also shown themselves to be deeply familiar with, like we said, just this, like, Laurel Canyon spooky scene, and they seem to be aware of all of the implications and illusions and connections to things. So, like, when they're being mysterious, I think they know what they're doing, and some of this you can very much, I think, just chalk up to, like, they know to be coy and mysterious to, like, drive the mystery. I think that's, like, fair to say. Yeah, 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 for sure. But then there's just, like, all these, like, little details where I just can't quite get all the way there to suggest something else, you know? Yeah, it's really hard to kind of like, you know, stick a pin in them because they're they're more aware than, you know, any artist trying to, you know, like do that vibe. Um, or even just like, you know, the classic bit of like, LOL, I'm CIA or like, you know, any artist that's like, LOL, I'm MKUltra. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that bit. There's so much more depth than that, that they have to know something that like, you know, most of the listeners would never know. Yes, I really do feel like there's something there with this band. I don't know what it is, but I can't shake the idea that fundamentally they are trying to like initiate their fan base into occultism. And I'm not saying that from like a Christian perspective where you shouldn't you should just avoid all of that shit. I'm just saying that like occultism if nothing else is like you're basically taking your your the trajectory of your spiritual progression into your own hands and whether or not you think that's good i don't think it's in, inherently bad i'm not saying that i'm just saying that there are risks involved and i i think death grips is if nothing else in favor of their listeners taking their spiritual progression into their own hands whether or not you how you feel about that is up to you yeah i mean you know i am the beast i worship right that's right like uh that's a real thesis statement on the band that whole song yes now how you feel about that i'll let you decide i'm not going to say it's bad i'm just saying there are risks probably indeed Okay, well, that's probably the a good end for the serious analysis. If 
Um, unless you had anything you wanted to say, like, um, within uh, what we're talking about, not really. I mean, <laughs> like I joked about before we started recording, I could absolutely do a you know nine part series <laughs> about the lyrics of every individual song, but uh, obviously we're not going to do that right now. So yeah. I think that's covered pretty much the uh, gist of everything. Thank you for going down this path with me. Now, Dakota, to smooth out the ride, so to speak, you want to tell us some fun stories? <laughs> yeah. Um, Death Grips has always been an extremely influential band on me back in the olden days of, you know, my late teens, my early 20s, you know, everybody's favorite part of their lives for uh, <laughs> better or for worse. And uh, Death Grips was always a big part of that because, you know, around the time Death Grips started is the around the time I started getting that, you know, adulthood freedom, but still able to be a fuck up with no real consequences. A dangerous time. Absolutely. And especially when you're listening to a lot of Death Grips. <laughs> <laughs> it's never a good combo. I mean, I have absolutely, you know, wrecked my own shit you know high off my ass skating around listening to uh, (laughs) ex-military or what have you i mean me and some former roommates of i of mine would uh form you know three or two or three person mosh pits in my living room and just you know wreck shit drunk as hell jamming out (laughs) to like no love deep web or whatever back when i had my place or uh oh yeah yeah and uh, <laughs> the one I was telling you about earlier that I uh, that thankfully got cut from a uh, from Mind Games that I did that little story is their uh, their last album Year of the Snitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you exactly where I was and what I was doing the day that album came out. So where were you and what were you doing? Um, I was at a gay nightclub in Columbus, <laughs> um, hanging out with my uh, girlfriend at the time and some other friends outside the club, like, you know, on the street. <laughs> and uh, this one girl we knew who liked to hang outside the club and like panhandle or whatever. We were hanging with her mostly because she's really cool. And uh, coincidentally, her name was Jenny, not unlike the uh, other Death Crips album. But um, we were chilling with her and her boyfriend at the time, whose name, as far as I knew, was Crazy Eddie, who was a uh, fellow homeless man, (laughs) um, showed up to kind of be around us. And he was a very intense, very freaky guy. (laughs) Um, Very, he had kind of the uh, MC ride body type, you know what I'm saying? Like, not jacked, but definitely 0% body fat with some muscle, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, we're hanging out with him, and uh, he starts passing around a joint. And, you know, I'm already drunk and I'm high, and, you know, I'm on a bunch of benzos and shit, so I'm not thinking straight. So me and my roommate, you know, we hit pretty hard off said joint. And then he kind of vanishes, and we go back into the club, because, you know, we have, like, wristbands or whatever. It's a pay-to-enter place. (laughs) And it's about like 15 or 20 minutes later that we both start feeling really bad. And we uh, meet up with a person who was also with that group in the club. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. And he tells me like, oh, yeah, no, uh, Eddie always laces his shit with PCP. (laughs) And so naturally, I'm like, oh, cool. You know, that would have been good to know before I smoked a bunch of it. (laughs) And um so I'm like flipping out a little bit in this gay nightclub. Like I'm like 
having like that weird uh i'm i know you're a good boy and you've never done pcdp but uh <laughs> it's a very bad feeling and i don't know why anyone would ever do that drug recreationally <laughs> so i'm kind of going around this club for a couple hours with my uh now ex-girlfriend you know we're both freaking out a little bit trying to keep it together trying to you know drown it out with alcohol which is never a good idea <laughs> and uh before i leave the club one of my uh, firmest memories of that experience was seeing another guy like you know he had like biker get up you know cool leather vest and like you know leather chaps and he had this big belt buckle and the belt buckle was just like you know cut out in steel it said fuck you <laughs> And I was standing with this guy. There was like a smoking pit, like just outside the venue, but still, you know, fenced in. And I was standing around him. And I remember this clear as day. I was just thinking to myself, like, I should beat the fuck out of this guy and steal his clothes. I love his outfit. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm in, you know, like Fallout New Vegas or Skyrim. And like I see an NPC with cool armor. <laughs> I uh, thankfully don't do that. And we end up leaving because eventually we kind of reach a point of like being here is not going to help. There's no way out of this. We just got to bail. And so we end up bailing and we go back to our car parked God knows where. And uh, we're sitting in the front seat of our car for a while and just kind of like both of us trying not to freak each other out. And uh, she says to me like, oh, shit, Death Grips just released a new album. And I'm like, you know, oh, fuck, yeah, that'll be great. That's just what I need right now. Let's go fucking home. We'll listen to this new Death Grips album. <laughs> and um, she flicks on her headlights to, for us to go home. And one of the headlights is out. We didn't know that until that moment. So we're, you know, police bait because one of the headlights is out and it's a Friday night and we're both fucked up and we're both fucking, you know, on PCP, right? <laughs> and so we decide to plug in the new Death Grips album, Year of the Snitch, and listen to it front to back on the drive home because I live a little over an hour outside of Columbus, um, not to dox myself. And um, so my first experience listening to, as of right now, the final Death Grips album was like trying and failing to come off of PCP in a car with one headlight, like with my ex driving the car, absolute maximum volume front to back uh, year of the snitch by death grips <laughs> and i really can't think of a more uh not good but a more perfect way to experience a new death grips album front to back than that i've never really felt more immersed in an album <laughs> than i had uh on that dark drive home with one headlight it feels very like a death grip song yeah i really felt like i was uh i, I felt like i was where they wanted me to be. <laughs> <laughs> I remember where I heard this. You remember that time we did that like uh, room, like that chat room thing where oh, we were yeah. all hanging out. I think you yeah, told yeah. the story there. Yeah. I think that was uh, off the record. I don't think anybody was recording, but yes, I think I did tell that story. There. Yeah. Okay. Cause I was like, I know this story, but like where on earth. Yeah. Very, <laughs> and, uh, very perfect. Very fitting. Yeah. To me, that's, uh, I've had, uh, I've obviously I've been listening to Death Grips for like 12 years now, and I've got plenty of other, you know, that was the soundtrack to a lot of the worst uh, decisions of my life. But to me, that one was the most Death Grips, Death Grips experience that I had ever had. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Indeed. <laughs> now, Dakota, 
Well, actually, I should say, did you have any other stories or whatever? Um, I mean, like I said, other than starting two, three, four person mosh pits in the living room of my old trailer, and uh, they released a track with, <laughs> oh God, if this is too bad, feel free to cut it. <laughs> mm-hmm. They released a track with Les Claypool called More Than the Fairy. Really great song. That was a single. It was never on an album. And uh, the backstory here is that for a while I was locked up at like an inpatient, you know, mental health type place. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be there, but I didn't want to go to jail and I didn't want to get, you know, Baker acted and be deemed crazy. So I was like, yeah, I'll volunteer to do this thing I have no choice in. And uh, there's this girl there that I had like a big old crush on. So pretty much the whole time I was spent there, uh, you know, just pretty much trying to get her to come home with me for the entire program. And uh, when I eventually succeeded, um, that was the night more than the fairy came out. And so my entire experience trying to, uh, you know, seduce this girl from the mental institution beginning to end on a loop was just the new death grips track more than the fairy in my place. <laughs> and so to, to this day, I associate this, that track with that experience of, you know, trying to bag a girl from the fucking like mental institution I was required to go to, <laughs> which is another, you know, death grips style death grips experience. Yeah. <laughs> what's that meme it's like i like cowboy boots because the girls i like can't be around shoelaces <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, to this yeah. day i call those uh you know those little socks they give you in institutions with little grippies on the bottom hot girl socks <laughs> <laughs> good stuff good stuff oh, yeah now dakota you know you're always welcome on program to chill lord knows there's no end to the things we could do an episode on so oh absolutely i'm sure we'll have you back on at some point for something interesting oh yeah i guarantee it and one of these days i want to actually be there for a roundtable discussion i'm sorry i wasn't able to make it to the last one but oh it's all good it's all good i'm sure we'll have another i would love to do one on panos cosmatos actually with a couple other movie heads i think that would be good Working way too much, he could get out and get fucked up. What's going on? Where's it at? Make some calls to make it crack. Let's see. I need money, drugs, and ride in the spot with hot wind and stuff. The mission to get all of the above in a limited amount of time. I can do this and it's done. Like that, we're on our way. Be it acid on the tongue, cocaine in your brain, or some weed that hits your lungs like a runaway train. Hell yeah, from DMT to MDMA. Got all this shit and more, so till dawn we're okay, but anyway Fuck up line every time, get in, get a drink and lose the minds All eyes on the dime that makes your dick wanna grind No, you got a good what's going, cause everything is glowing Skirt so short, her ass is showing And she's looking so you know when you can get it tonight But there's so much around, let's take your time, do it right as you keep getting higher, life looks like they're on fire Soon all that's left of you is your most primal desire Ass clapping, dick sucking, lock the door to the bathroom Quick fucking find a hole and it can happen But it's nothing cause you're drunk and they'll be blacking out Before you even get a chance to think about what you're doing
it to make me delete it Shake it, can't take it, but break it Break it off now when I said it Bitch! Bitch! I want it, I need it, need it to make me delete it Shake it, can't take it, but break it Break it off now when I said it Bitch! Bitch! I want it, I need it, need it to make me delete it Shake it, can't take it, but break it Break it off now when I said it Bitch! 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 I want it, I need it, need it to make me delete it Shake it, can't take it, but break it, break it off Yeah, when I say this Bitch I want it, I need it, need it to make me delete it Shake it, can't take it, must break it, break it off Yeah, when I say bitch